Okay. How are we doing? You glad you came so far? <laughs> Hopefully I won't change that in the next 40 minutes or so. If you have a Bible, or an iPad, or a Blackberry, please open to Acts chapter 16. And to begin with, I'm going to tell you a story. If you are seated comfortably, I shall begin. It's a well-known story. It's a great story. The story of Paul and Silas. Acts 16, verse 16. It goes like this. One day, we were going down. We, so this is Luke speaking and writing. We were going down to the place of prayer, and we met a demon-possessed slave girl. Sounds like a normal, everyday occurrence. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left. Master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet to the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourselves. We're all here. The jailer called for light and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in the household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. Just an amazing story, isn't it? Think about the roller coaster ride that Luke and then Paul and Silas went through here. First of all, they were preaching, they were going about their daily ministry, and they were just being bugged incessantly by a crazy lady. And then they just eventually it became too much. They prayed for this lady. She was gloriously delivered in the name of Jesus. They were doing exactly what Jesus called them to do: victory, triumph, moving on. But unfortunately, rather than being celebrated and acclaimed, Paul and Silas were seized and stripped and beaten 
and thrown into prison. I wonder, does life ever feel like that? You're trying to do what God's put before you and everything just backfires horribly. Instead of feeling like an overcomer, you feel like an abject failure. Beaten up, disappointed, discouraged, frustrated. Whenever you feel like that, and I suspect you will occasionally, remember Paul and Silas. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never been publicly stripped and beaten with wooden rods. I've never been thrown in prison. I did visit prison once, and we were a bit worried that my children were going to go into school and say, oh, Daddy went to prison yesterday. But I don't think he did. I've never been thrown into prison. I've never suffered anything like that. I'm sure 21st century prisons aren't like a holiday camp. But in this situation, they were tossed into a miserable, dank, smelly inner dungeon. In there, there was no natural light. Probably the excrement was running along the floor and the rats were crawling up the walls and they were surrounded by fruit and nuts. I'm not talking about cereal. They had every reason to feel really sorry for themselves. This story is so powerful because it indicates one of the strongest qualities of an overcomer, a key to victory. Because rather than crying and lashing out and moaning and grumbling at their travail, they made a very different choice. And at midnight, they began to praise. They began to pray and sing. They began to quote the Psalms. They began to encourage one another. It must have been hard. They had to make themselves do it. But what they did was they decided to lift their eyes off their problem and onto the solution. And that positive reaction opened the door miraculously for God to step in. It's quite the story, isn't it? The whole jail, the whole of his family got saved. All the chains fell of all the prisoners, not just Paul and Silas. I mean, incredible stuff. Positive reaction opened the door for God to intervene. I wonder how many times our negative reactions slam closed the same doors. So this is the premise. The big premise for today is that praise changes the spiritual climate. Praise changes the very atmosphere around you. Praise is not just singing happy songs. Praise is not just a boppy start to the service to keep the kids entertained. Praise is not just something we do because that's what the textbook says. That's the right thing to do and that's what we do every week. Praise is powerful. It's deeply significant, even life-changing. Praise changes the spiritual climate, the atmosphere around you. What do I mean by a spiritual atmosphere? Have you ever entered a room just after a blazing argument? Yeah? You can sense the atmosphere lurking, lingering, hanging like a fog in that room. Ever been around someone just after they've been hit with bad news? You know, sometimes you go into a hospital ward and there's just this lingering atmosphere, climate in there, of, of oppression, depression almost. 
Have you ever been in the away end at a football match? Have you ever been into a dingy, dark city side street, back street late at night? Have you ever felt that cold, clammy fear? You know what I mean by, by starchy, religious environment? Have you ever been in that place and just felt uncomfortable, felt out of place, felt as though everyone was staring at you? Have you ever felt, as it were, a dark storm cloud over your head? Maybe you're not even sure why it's there. One morning you wake up just feeling down. Again, you're not quite sure why, but you just can't seem to shake it off. Have you ever seen a friend who seems to be living under an oppression? They're down and discouraged for an extended period. And I'm not trying to be critical of that person. What I'm saying is they're under a spiritual atmosphere. It's as though the climate around them needs to shift. You know, that's exactly the place that Paul and Silas could have been in, with good reason. But their response, and what happened as a direct result of that response, teaches us a tremendous lesson. Today I want to show you why praise is so important. Why it's so important personally, and why it's so important corporately. First of all, I just want to lay down a key underlying factor. What's, what's going on here? What's at stake? What's God doing in all of this? There's an often beaten drum. You hear it over and over, that Christianity is not religion, Christianity is relationship. It's not about do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. It's not about rituals. It's not about performance. But God is a person with a personality. And Christianity is supposed to be personal. It's supposed to be relational and interactive. God wants our attention. He wants our friendship. God really wants to participate in your life. So God is trying to cultivate relationship with us. The big question is, are we open? Are we open to that? See, our openness to him is a critical factor in his ability to influence us, to affect us, even to bless our lives. And there's a very big difference between what he can do in an open heart and what he can do in a closed heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, I will give you, this is talking about the new covenant, God's saying, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The trouble is, as you close yourself up, however, for whatever reason, what you do is you close the door on what God wants to do in you and for you. God, God wants to pour out. That's his heart. He wants to pour out, but we have to be open to receive. It's called grace. 
It comes out of his goodness. But one person can receive that grace while another person is resisting. One person can listen to the voice of the Spirit while another one closes their ears. It all depends on whether you have that tender, responsive and open heart. And the way you open yourself wide, the way you remove that resistance is to praise the God, is to magnify him, is to enthrone God where he belongs. I found this quote this week, praise does not flatter God to incur his favour. It enthrones him back on his throne where he belongs. You know, and God doesn't love you any more or any less, but, but our praise manoeuvres us into a place where we're open and we can receive from his goodness, where we submit ourselves under his authority, under the authority of his kingdom and his kingship. It's the place where we give him permission and freedom and opportunity to come and intervene in our world. Let me ask this question. Why do we begin our services with praise? Is it because God is worthy of praise? Absolutely. We don't praise God because he has an ego problem. We praise God because he knows that that is what sets the spiritual atmosphere. And praise changes the atmosphere quicker than anything. And all the way through this, just hold in your mind that story of Paul and Silas and what they did, how they responded, and what happened. See, services without praise, without praise first, normally fall flat. There's a, there's a kind of deadness the door has just not been opened for God to come in. Ever been to a service like that? I may sound like an old, an old, old man, but I've sat on stages for 30 plus years watching services behind my piano, behind my guitar, watching services, watching congregations, and analysing what works and what doesn't. And I don't have all the answers to that, but one thing I do know is that when we praise God first, everything is much, much easier. The anointing is stronger. The presence of God is deeper and richer. The preaching of the word is easier. Response at the end is quicker and wider. More prayers get answered. People leave with a spring in their step. Now, not all of you were here last week, but this is what I, had, I had to step in last week at the end of the praise set. We just, there was this kind of heaviness in the room. I wasn't quite sure where it had come from, what was going on. But I knew that if we didn't do something about it, it was just going to be hard work. And we were never going to get where we needed to get. Maybe it was as Jill said, that there was a crucial word that was coming and the enemy was just trying to resist that, oppose that, stop it any way he could. I, I don't know. You be the judge of that. I was pondering this week, and this is maybe a bit of a trivial superficial example, but I, I was wondering if you were to go to five different churches, five different Sunday morning services, say, and you were to score their praise on a scale from zero to ten. We'd never do that, would we? I mean, let's be honest. But, it, but if we were to score the praise, that initial section of the service from zero to ten, and then at the end of the service, we were to look at the overall service and score it from zero to ten, I'd like to suggest 
there'd be a very, very strong correlation between the two. And here's why. I'm going to read Psalm 100. No great surprises there, I guess, if you know your Bibles. But Psalm 100 says this. This is the New Living Translation. It says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4. Enter his gates with, say it, thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. You know, I'm convinced that we have been designed to live in his presence, to experience the goodness that it talks about in here, to be rooted and grounded in his unfailing love. But the entranceway to his presence is thanksgiving and praise. There's some symbolism here. If you could throw the next slide up, please, that would be great. I'm not sure how clearly you can see this. It's not, not a great copy, but the symbolism was the Jewish tabernacle. And the Jewish tabernacle and, and the temple subsequently consisted of an outer court, which is really just in that case just a tent wall. And then inside that there was, a, there was an inner court, a tent, and inside that there was a veil, and behind that was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where the high priest went once a year. This is where they performed their offerings. In the Holy of Holies you had the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God himself. They would go into the Holy of Holies through a series of doorways, passing through the outer court first, and then into the inner court, the tent, and then finally into the Holy of Holies. And if you read through the Old Testament passages relevant to this, you'll find that at each entranceway there were certain symbolic ritual acts, physical acts they had to perform in order to be able to pass from one court into the next, culminating in the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. You know, they had blood to sprinkle, there was incense that had to be burned, there were hand basins so they could uh, ritually sanctify and wash themselves, all in pursuit of his presence. And the psalmist said here in 100, verse 4, this is how you enter the gates, with thanksgiving. How do you go into his courts? With praise. Of course, the good news is now we're in the New Testament, what we're celebrating next week on Easter Sunday, the veil, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top and bottom. Now we all have the same access to the presence of God that the high priest had once a year. We all get to live in his presence, to experience and enjoy that presence, that closeness, that intimacy. But the way into that place remains the same, and the entranceway is praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise. If you want to experience the presence of God, if you want to experience the presence of God personally, if you want to experience it corporately, this is how we get there. And I'll unfold that a little bit more as we go on. I want to make three points, really, about praise today. The first one is that praise is a sacrifice. 
Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Another version says, Our sacrifice is to keep offering praise to God in the name of Jesus. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices to make. This is our sacrifice. Psalm 96, verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. We get to bring an offering and come into his courts. But the thing, of course, about sacrifice, by definition, is that sacrifice costs. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we don't want to do it. I don't know how you felt Sunday morning when the first joyful song comes along. What are you thinking? Come on, caffeine, kick in. What am I doing here? How on earth am I going to sing this song after the week I've had? I don't know how you're feeling, but the point is that praise is a sacrifice and it costs. You might wake up in the morning down and grumpy, but praise is the way to burst out of that. But it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of your time and of your attention, of your effort, of your emotions, which may be tugging you in the opposite direction. We need to know that Lucifer, our enemy, was initially a worship leader. He knows how powerful worship is. And he will creatively try to stop you. Have you ever wondered why your kids play up twice as much on a Sunday morning, as they do the rest of the week. Anyone else notice that apart from me? I'm okay. I get here at eight. It's Catherine's trouble to sort out all of that. I don't know if you're, you're puzzled this morning at how the person next to you could be so irritatingly cheerful. <laughs> now, that person next to you actually may not be an extrovert. I wonder if this is easier for extroverts. I don't know. I'm not one, actually. The chances are the person next to you has made a decision. Made a decision to praise. Yes, it's an act of faith. Yes, it does involve some sacrifice. I don't think this means that we need to make an exhibition of ourselves. At least I hope it doesn't. I don't tend to do that personally. I'm quite reserved. I don't think God's particularly upset about that. But what we must do, we must say those words. We must make those declarations. We must open our hearts. We must metaphorically throw ourselves wide open. I don't know how that looks for you. Maybe that's closing your eyes or raising your hands or falling on your knees. Some form of physical engagement that says, God, I'm yours. Come and do it. Psalm 22, verse 3 quoted often, says, but you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Now, if we want to see the kingdom here, we must liberate the king to be the king. I wonder, too many people, I think, want the king to be king, but don't want to do what it takes, actually, to put him on the throne. How do we put him on the throne? Well, he is enthroned upon our praises. Other versions talk about how God inhabits the praises of his people. The Amplified says that the Lord dwells where his praises are sung. He's enthroned upon our praises. 
So first point is praise is a sacrifice. You may not always feel like it. You may have to drag yourself in there kicking and screaming. It may cost you something, but we've got to do it because that is the way in to what God has for us. Number two is praise is a spiritual weapon. As I've already said, praise changes the spiritual atmosphere quicker than anything else. Praise opens the door for God to intervene. Again, just read that story, Paul and Silas. Opens the door for God to intervene. And I don't know about you, we're up from some, for some supernatural intervention. There are countless biblical examples of this. Paul and Silas is a wonderful one. But think about the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, where they sung praises, the whole congregation, and the, and the glory, the power of God fell, and it was so thick in there they couldn't even stand, it said the priest to minister. Think about the story of Joshua and Jericho. Why were they marching around the walls? What was going on there? Well, the symbolism was they had the trumpeters first. Trumpet represents praise. They had the Ark of the Covenant tucked in behind, representing the presence of God. And as they praised, as they walked around, as they put God first, he was able then to break the demonic stronghold and pull down the walls. It's a great story in, in 2 Chronicles 20. And in there, King, uh, uh, King Jehoshaphat uh, and the people of Judah are under siege by Ammon and Moab. I don't know if you remember that story, but it says that they were badly outnumbered. But God told him that he would fight for them. And in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Go and read that one. Amazing story again. I'm not sure we'd do this, would we? We'd, we'd instinctively send the praise and worship team in first. Maybe you heard us this morning. Maybe you'd quite like us to go to the front line first. I'm not sure. But, but, but that's the principle. We praise first, and then God is able to break in and intervene. Um, I came down this morning, and my wife had her iPod, iPod on, and she was playing really loud, which is unlike Catherine, because um, she's quiet, as you know. I'm the loud one. Actually, Ollie's the loud one. Um, and and she's playing the song, Waiting Here For You. And she told me a little story. Don't think she knew what I was going to preach. And I did ask her for permission to share this story. And, and uh, between you and me, don't tell Catherine I told you this, but anyway, there's, there's been something this... Oh, she's there. That's not going to work. Um, there's been something that she's been sort of clinging on to, just waiting for, for a few weeks now. And, and it's been... A bit of a burden, I think, on her shoulders, being weighing her down a little bit. And the other day, she just got the sense, she put her iPod on, she scrolled through the song, she found this one song waiting here for you. Wasn't quite sure why this song jumped up, and she put it on, turned it up, and I think she said she just listened to it over and over and over again. And it just did something, and I think she said that it made her spirit lift. It was though the atmosphere around her, this heaviness that had been around her for, the, for, for several weeks, actually, just lifted supernaturally off. And so I think today, this morning, it was on as an extra celebration. That song was on. You know, there are many, many things that praise does besides lifting your spirits. 
my list of five here. The first one is praise declares and releases the word of God. Tremendous power in singing the psalm. It declares and releases the word of God. We've talked over and over and over again about God's word, the sword of the spirit, that double-edged sword. When we praise, we sing it out. Powerful. Second one, verse I quoted last week, praise silences the enemy. Psalm 8, verse 2, through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. That's, that's what praise does. Number three, praise breaks our fleshly resistance and thus opens the door for the Holy Spirit. Number four, praise changes the spiritual atmosphere. That was Catherine's story, I think. Praise creates a, a climate ripe for miracles. Again, think of that story of Paul and Silas. Number five, praise forces you to shift attention off yourself and onto God. And guess which one of those is better? It forces you to shift your attention off your problems and onto the answer, onto the solution. His name is Jesus. It lifts your eyes off the battle that you may be raging and onto the victory and the victor. The trouble is, by, by focusing on the problems Instead of praising, we do tend to become introverted, self-centered, and if, if we're not careful, pride, forms of pride take over. You know what the Bible says about God resisting the proud but giving grace to the humble? It's actually very easy for our prayer to become problem-focused. So actually our prayer times are merely a, merely a list of complaints to God, really. So even in our praise life, it's so important, in our prayer life, it's so important that we praise first. You know, the enemy wants nothing more than to see you crushed under the weight of oppression and heaviness. He does. So, don't tolerate it. This heaviness can be swept away if we will praise the King of Kings. Two verses from the Psalm. Psalm 42, verse 4. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my hope. In that psalm, we, ha we have the, the psalmist seeing the light and realising he's got a correct his attitude. I like Psalm 57. Delirious wrote a song about this one. Verse 8. Wake up, my heart. Wake up. Ever have to say that to yourself? Wake up, O lyre and heart. We might say guitars and drums. I don't know. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among the, all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. For me, as I read that, there's a sense of which he's saying to himself, come on, wake up. You know, you've, you've no point moaning about this heaviness, this oppression on top. You wake up. Get up. Get out. Start singing. Start, start praising. Start declaring the goodness of God. And you'll see everything change. I will awaken the dawn. Do we awaken the dawn? In my house, we're up before the dawn. Do we awaken the dawn with our praises? Perhaps we should. Praise changes 
the spiritual atmosphere, climate around you. Number three, praise is the lifestyle of an overcomer. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all time. That's a bit subtle. Hope you got it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we're talking about lifestyle. We're talking about a choice to do it. We're talking about something that must become a habit. This is perhaps the overriding message of the Psalms. And we, we read that same message over and over and over again through the New Testament. Just two examples. Psalm 113 verse 3. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. From the beginning to the end, doesn't leave much out in the middle. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Make yourself do it. Even if you don't want to, it's a sacrifice, remember. Pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a huge freedom key. I don't know, you you look at some people and you know the circumstances they're going through and wonder how on earth does that person still have a smile on their face. But they do, because they've made a better choice. Two people who are facing exactly the same set of circumstances can have completely different attitudes and then completely different atmospheres around them. One is a praiser, One is a complainer. One complains about how big their problem is. One sings about how big their God is. One lives as a victor, and the other lives as a victim. I wrap up. Final thoughts. Personally, for you, make a decision today to become a praiser. Habitually. You know, whatever the circumstances say, whatever your spouse says, whatever your emotions inside you are saying, make a lifestyle choice. I am going to be a praiser. This is what an overcomer looks like. This is what a man or woman of faith does. This is how you live, as they say, under an open heaven. Personally, make that decision today. If you're under a heaviness in your life right now, if there's something assaulting, attacking you, seems to be closing and around you, this is the key to your breakthrough right here. Burst out of it. Praise him. That's personally. Corporately, there's a bold statement I'm about to make, but I'm convinced it's true. We will only go so far as a church as we are prepared to praise him. Without praising and without that initial entry, as a church, we'll always be slightly closed and withdrawn. We'll never quite get where we want to get, where we need to get, into the depths and the riches of his presence. We won't see that breakthrough. We won't see the spiritual atmosphere changed, and boy, does it need changing out there. We won't see the soul saved. We won't see people's hearts wide open to receive the ministry of word and spirit. But let let that not be us. Let us not be overcome, dare I say it, by our Englishness. With apologies if you're not English in here today. I'm not saying that we need to start swinging from the chandeliers and suddenly start behaving like mad people. 
But whether you're an introvert or whether you're an extrovert, we must become a people of praise. Privately, personally, corporately, if we want to see all that we long to see God do among us. So, how do we respond to all of that? Number one, praise is a sacrifice. The question is, are you prepared to step out? Even when you don't feel like it, in order to let God in. Because that's the thing that changes the spiritual atmosphere. Think about it next Sunday. When you come in, and you walk through the doors, and you see that sickeningly, annoyingly smiling person, probably be me, I'm sorry, standing next to you. Say, do you know what? I could do that. I could, I could tear down this resistance. I could open up my heart. I can say those words. I can sing those songs. Yes, it's going to be an act of faith, but there's something about that act of faith that stirs your faith and changes that spiritual atmosphere. Number one, praise is a sacrifice. Are you prepared to do it? Because if you're not, you just won't get there. Number two, praise is a spiritual weapon. If you need breakthrough, if you need a change in your spiritual climate today, then this is the answer. Praise him. And number three, praise is a lifestyle. Let me ask you this question. It's mean of me, I know. I apologize in advance. If you search your own heart, are you a moaner or are you a praiser? I'd encourage you to just take that to the Lord's say and say, Lord, is there anything that I need to change? Does there need to be a shift in the way I do things? Can I be a praiser by lifestyle? Because that's what an overcomer does. Let's pray. John would like to come up. That would be great. Talking about annoyingly cheerful. Welcome to Kingdom Kids. <laughs> Isn't it great that they're having fun? Wonderful. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you this morning and magnify and glorify you. As we think about this Easter time, we have it on our hearts at the moment. Remember what you did, how you did it, why you did it. We marvel. We're reminded that you are enthroned upon the praise of your people, that there is the root into your presence, the root into that openness of heart, the roots into that open heaven is, is if we would praise you, if we would put you first, if we would declare those words, if we would do all of the things we've talked about this morning. Lord, I just pray that the words, your word, would just sink into our heart. Lord, I just long for us corporately to be a people of praise. When the service starts in this place on a Sunday morning, it's as though the atmosphere is charged because we're ready to go. We just want to throw our hands up, clap our hands, stamp our feet and just sing with a sense of joy and hope and expectation the kind of songs that we have written on the overhead. Lord, I want us to be that place. I want us to be that place where nothing is holding you back, where flesh has been ripped in two like that veil and where the Spirit is completely liberated to do everything, Holy Spirit, that you long to do.
Lord, would we be that people, that people who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray over individual souls in this place today. Some of them are sitting there spitting, thinking, how does he be so irritatingly cheerful and chirpy and optimistic and positive? Well, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I understand there are people facing hard situations right now who feel as though there is this dark storm cloud around them, and it probably is. I'm not belittling that, Lord, but I pray that you'd show them today how they can lift that off. Doesn't your word say that if we cast our burdens upon you because you care for us, how we can take everything to you, our prayers and our supplication, and, and with thanksgiving, it says, and you will give us a peace that passes understanding. Lord, our praise lifts that storm cloud off. So, Lord, as we respond this morning, I just pray, Lord, for everyone in here that you would stir in their hearts, that you would do in them what you need to do, that the one thing that you're whispering in their ear today would speak loud and clear. In Jesus' name. Amen.